Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, a few weeks ago, we did an episode on human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how you sent me pictures of kittens or kittens doing adorable things because I do love that immensely. And a lot of our listeners wrote in and let us know about this site called Mm -hmm. zooborns.com, which is where you see um, baby animals that are born in zoos. And we should clarify that I sent you these photos for anyone who hasn't listened because you had to write the article. And it was super depressing. Yeah, on human trafficking, and it was incredibly depressing. So we always said as palate cleanser, look at pictures with cats. Our listeners let us know about zooborns. So mm-hmm. I bring it up because we got another downer today, uh, female suicide bombers. And so I just want everyone to know that zooborns.com exists. If you need to look at some baby animals halfway through, after this, midway, you know, whatever. Uh, and to thank those listeners. So baby zoo animals to suicide bombers. Yes, because uh, a lot of times when we hear about suicide bombers in the press, it's typically men. Yeah. But uh, in recent years, especially, there has been a rise in the number of female terrorists and female suicide bombers. And terrorist organizations are really starting to... Um, see the advantages, the <laughs> very dark advantages of using women mm-hmm. because when you have female suicide bombers, it always gets more media attention. Yeah. Um, and you know, some of these, uh, terrorist groups operate within communities that aren't, uh, known for gender equality. Right. Women are often second class citizens in some of these countries and these groups. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon to talk about because you know, people have to wonder why are these groups that are otherwise so uh, demeaning to women allowing women to do this? Because, you know, it's uh, considered a great honor for a man to undertake this mission yeah. to to uh, be a suicide bomber. And so uh, female suicide bombers, like some of our Lady Killer episodes, it seems to go against everything we know about this nurturing aspect of women and the like. So everyone's got a theory as to why women uh, strap a bomb on themselves and try and, and hurt people. So let's talk about why the suicide groups want, why the terrorist groups want them, why the women might do it, and the aftermath. So just to give you a little idea about um, women, women's roles in suicide bombing and terrorist organizations, the first female suicide bomber was a 17-year-old Palestinian girl who drove a truck into an Israeli convoy in Lebanon in 1985. And since then, the um, number of suicide bombing attacks um, have, has only increased. And it is has been called the weapon of choice today for terrorist organizations in particular. Um, and since that first bombing in 1985, um, the, the number of women participating in this has only gone up, like I just said. Uh, for instance, since 2002, 88 Palestinian women have attempted suicide bombings, although just eight of them have been successful. And then in 2010, we had the really um, well infamous, I should say, I was about to say famous, um, but there was the Moscow bombing, and it was carried out by two female terrorists from Chechnya. The Black Widows. The Black Widows. Who were also involved in, um, I think it was 2002 when yes. they held that school hostage. So they're a pretty well-known female terrorist arm. But for um, any terrorist group, a suicide bombing, like you said, Kristen, can be a weapon of choice because it's simple, it's low cost, 
Um, you kill a lot of people and cause a lot of damage at one time um, compared to other sort of things you could carry out. And you don't have to worry about the uh, person involved giving away your secrets because the success of a suicide mission depends on them dying. Right. Um, and there's an immense impact in the media. People always want to cover this because it seems so insane that someone would strap a bomb on themselves and, and blow people up. So like Kristen said, if you use a woman, you're going to have double the impact that you might if just a man did it because it's so unheard of and, un, you know, inconceivable. Yeah. And just to give you an idea of how effective suicide bombing is, um, they're now used by 17 terrorist organizations in 14 countries. And in terms of casualties, suicide attacks are the most efficient form of terrorism. From 1980 to 2001, suicide attacks accounted for 3% of terrorist incidents, but caused half of the total deaths due to terrorism. Um, and if that's... Uh, setting aside what happened on 9-11. So terrorist organizations are using them. And these are organizations um, from the Syrian Socialist National Party to uh, the Tamil Tigers sister group, which is the Birds of Paradise. We have the Black Widows, which we mentioned um, in Chechnya. Um, there are female suicide bombers associated with Hamas. A lot of them. And they're saying that these m- women might be better tools because they're not being checked as thoroughly as the men are. They might have a better chance of getting through a checkpoint. They may have greater opportunity to get, you know, right in the thick of things than perhaps a male does. If you're wearing a big, long robe and a veil, it's easy to hide weapons under there. So it's probably necessary that a lot of groups adapt their um, terrorism guidelines to account for growing numbers of women performing terrorist activities. Right. Statistically, a female suicide bomber will kill nine victims compared to the 5.5 average victims that a male suicide bomber will kill. These are, women. these are very dark statistics we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but also, um, like you said, uh, wh- they can hide more under their clothes. For instance, women in Muslim societies can hide 12 pounds of explosives under under their garments. Um, and they also, like you said, are also just less likely to be stopped by authorities. Although it seems like government organizations are now starting to pay more and law enforcement agencies are starting to pay more attention to women's rising roles in these terrorist organizations. So who are these women? Do they differ in their motives from male suicide bombers? Because the the thing you always hear about a male suicide bomber is he's been promised great riches in the afterlife. And 72 virgins. The 72 virgins. Women do not get 72 virgins. Rather, there are theories that they become the most beautiful of the 72 virgins, but they're only going to be there uh, to please their husband. Basically, you get your husband in the afterlife. You become really beautiful and you won't have to deal with children and and you will still be married to your husband. Yeah. And uh, there are a number of theories as to what motivates women in these societies to um, participate in suicide bombings. For instance, Maya Bloom, who wrote Bombshell, The Many Faces of Female Terrorists, said there are five reasons why women will participate with suicide bombings, and which would be revenge, redemption, relationships, respect, and rape. And she says that that relationship cause is 
the most potent. A lot of times they'll have some kind of connection to either, you know, uh, enacting revenge for someone who's been killed, a relative mm-hmm. or a husband or brother who's been killed, or they are involved with someone in the terrorist organization. They have some kind of connection. But then this aspect of redemption and rape um, is also very compelling because in these societies, suicide bombing might be sort of their only alternative. Yeah, a lot of these women, sometimes when they look into their backstories, they may have had, for example, an affair. And they were offered the choice to be, you know, stoned to death for the affair or to blow themselves up and perhaps gain some redemption from their affair through greater glory in terms of the terrorist cause. Um, or they may have been raped, which is seen as this huge act of dishonor in these countries, and they can regain some of their family's honor by uh by doing this. So they're saying there are always these motives that may have to do more with their with protecting their family or honoring their family. And other researchers are just like, maybe this is, you know, a way we're attributing sort of stereotypical female roles to these women just to make ourselves feel better about it. But Bloom is saying that um, you know, they're not they're not coerced into this. This is mm-hmm. a choice that most of them do seem to make on their own, either to regain their family's honor or to um, you know, because they have a relationship to a known terrorist. Right. Um, instead of, you know, just casting these girls as the media often does as, you know, just naive under the sway of male influence. Um, there's one estimate that 95% of female suicide bombers will carry out attacks as part of a military operation against an occupying force. And their motivation is number one, loyalty to a cause. Mm hmm. Just like the men. <laughs> yeah, I mean, originally I think that when you see a female suicide bomber, you think that she can't have that sort of devotion to a cause above a family member or, mm-hmm. you know, a- above her children because we have this idea that motherhood kind of trumps all. And and that's not, and Bloom is saying that's not true, that these women are just as motivated by the injustices they see. And in some cases, maybe even more motivated because they are mothers. Um, sometimes the female suicide bombers are more likely to target uh, centers where women and children are hanging right. out because they think if my if I can't have children, then I don't want my enemy to have children. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, they can be more damaging to the civilian public than a male suicide bomber is. So as um, different researchers and different agencies try to sort out who might be targeted, what women might be targeted for suicide bombing recruitment, um, there are some mixed findings, you know, that indicate how little we really still know about female suicide bombers. For instance, there was an Israeli study looking at female suicide bomber recruits from 2002 to 2005, and it found that 33% were college graduates. And this is a huge contrast to the population of male suicide bombers who tend to be very young and very uneducated, okay, and who, for that reason, are more likely to get swept up into this extremist cause. But then we go to another study that's looking at terrorist organizations kind of across the uh, across the map and it says that like male suicide bombers the females are also tend to be younger and uneducated for instance the black widow one of the black widows um who carried out that moscow transit bombing was 17 yeah so, so we still don't know and i don't think that we'll be able to boil down you know just one one very basic profile of a suicide bomber obviously these women are all bringing in different types of baggage to this very extreme um, act. Right. If they were easy to profile, then maybe we wouldn't have the problem. But, right. But that's sort of the depressing thing about this is that these women do have all these different forms of baggage, be it a dead husband or be it a rape in their past. They're trying to 
get get off the family slate or they may be poor. They may be middle class. The, the, the thing about female suicide bombers is they are harder to classify than the males. Maybe like Kristen said, the males tend to be young and uneducated and um, the women seem to have a lot more complicated reasons for this. And it's interesting that even though these female suicide bombers are putting themselves out, destroying their bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. killing themselves for this cause alongside men, they still face um, these sexist double standards within terrorist organizations. Yeah. Uh, For instance, um, there was a male suicide bomber who was interviewed in prison, obviously an unsuccessful male suicide bomber, who told him that he was really angry that his sister had tried to carry out a suicide bombing as well after she got a divorce. Mm -hmm. Because obviously that would, you know, the The suicide bombing would provide some kind of uh, redemption for this shameful divorce. But he said he was really angry with it because he said, quote, a woman must not expose her body. And when a woman blows herself up, not all parts of her body become tiny bits of flesh. Yeah, so he was upset that perhaps her flesh was being uh, was bringing dishonor to the family just by being littered in the street after right. it had been blown up by a bomb. And uh, like he said, they don't ever rise to the top in terms of group leadership. And this is sort of kind of reminds me of our mob episode, a mob episode, Kristen, where you know they keep talking about the glass ceiling for female terrorists or the glass ceiling for lady mobsters, and you're like, is this a glass ceiling we need to be worried about? <laughs> but um, no. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, is that women are playing these really important roles. I mean, that sounds weird to say, but women are playing, are trying to get involved with these groups for whatever reason. And, uh, despite the fact that they do tend to be more deadly, they never, uh, get to the top of the leadership because of rules about whether women can be involved in terrorist leadership. Right. They think that there might be some female leadership in, um, terrorist arms of Hamas, but not in Al-Qaeda. Actually, Al-Zawahiri has publicly said when he was asked about the highest rank in Al- Al-Qaeda held by a woman, he said that there were no women in the group. Now, he's backpedaled on that a little bit. But even though there might not be female leadership in Al-Qaeda, that does not mean that the male leaders do not use women to form alliances. Specifically, they will marry off their daughters. For instance, um, Osama bin Laden and Mullah Omar appear to be married to each other's daughters. And that, well, that would have been when bin Laden was still alive. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this backpedaling does seem to happen the more they need recruits. So it's almost like maybe the sign that they're using more women could be a sign that, uh, participation among the men might be dwindling off because they're saying that one of the best ways to recruit more men is to get a woman to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like step up. We're using women. You yeah. need to be doing this. So I don't know if eventually the idea that more women are getting involved will be a sign that some of these groups are, are losing power over the men or, or, you know, I don't think anyone can draw any conclusion at this point, except that attacks by these female terrorists are on the rise. So like you said, Molly, um, this is, Kind of a tricky topic to discuss because it's not like we want to praise these women for breaking Way through to break that glass ceiling. Yeah, breaking through these sexist glass ceilings of suicide bombing, but it's still something. It's it, it's something compelling for us to follow because because of the whole like redemption factor, because of what it says about um, sort of the state of global terrorism and how it has evolved 
so something to keep an eye out on. And also something to keep an eye out on, too, in the media portrayals of these female suicide bombers, you know, p- painting them as these just psychologically weak, naive young girls. No, I mean, they're they're pretty vicious. There was one um, study talking about uh, how these women are trained and they're trained alongside the men. Well, probably separate from the men, but trained in the same way as men and uh, taught very intricate ways to handle weaponry, to build bombs, to carry explosives. Uh, so these aren't these aren't exactly wilting flowers we're dealing with. So if you have any thoughts to share with us about this, send them our way. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And let's read an email. Well, I have an email here um, from someone who wants to be anonymous because the story might, you know, set off alarm bells for someone. It's about uh, the episode, How Could You Not Know You Were Pregnant Until the Baby Came? And this person writes, I'm a family physician, and I want to tell you my best story on the subject. I do not want my name, city, etc. revealed for patient privacy reasons, and for that reason... I will not even tell you when the incident occurred. However, I assure you it is totally true. I was working in the ER ambulatory care area on a weekend when a young woman presented with crampy abdominal pain. She was attended by her mother. As part of the evaluation of this pain, I performed a pelvic exam. It was immediately evident that she was in labor with a fully dilated cervix and having labor pains. She was so far into labor, we did not have time to move her into the labor and delivery area of the hospital, but were only able to get a procedure tray with the appropriate instruments just in time for the baby to crown. I delivered the baby in an otherwise uneventful fashion, laying it on the young woman's belly while cutting the cord. As we wrapped the baby and tried to hand it to the new mother, she and her mother became irate, stating that we were trying to trick them into taking someone else's child, and they were not going to allow this elaborate fraud to be perpetuated on them just to get them to care for someone else's unwanted child. They were thoroughly convinced that we were trying to pawn off someone else's child on them and that we were neglecting to address and treat the true cause of her abdominal pain, insisting there was no way the child was possibly hers. Isn't that crazy, Kristen? That is quite a story. The woman had to go to the psychiatry ward, and mm-hmm. we don't know. That's as far as, as our listener knows what happened. Well, I hope that she and the, the, the baby are okay. Uh, well, <laughs> on that note, uh, <laughs> if you have any stories to send our way, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. Or you can hit us up on Facebook and like us because we like you. Or you can follow us because we follow. No, we don't. Um, follow us on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast, and you can read our blog during the week. It's stuff Mom never told you at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?